Hi, and welcome to Ghostwood Radio, a Twin Peaks podcast at MovieFail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And today we're going to be discussing the second episode of the first season, uh, Traces to Nowhere. So, uh, yeah, this is the uh, the first episode episode, I guess, of the uh, of the show. Um, in that it's uh, the pilot is fairly uh, comprehensive and and uh, the scope is quite large, uh, whereas I think um, things are a bit more focused in this episode, and also the, the tone and, and some of the, the pacing are, are a bit different from the uh, from the pilot episode. Um, yeah. yeah, the pacing definitely feels much more like an, an episode of TV than the pilot did, which had a much more, not leisurely, but had, like you say, yeah, the scope was much bigger, and it was able to kind of take longer breaths between the big plot beats. Uh, whereas this feels much more like, in terms of just the rhythm of it, this feels much more like a typical episode of television. Absolutely, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it, it was funny. It, it felt like a more typical episode and also a much lighter episode, weird, weirdly. I don't know if you felt that way as well. In some ways, yeah. I mean, tonally, this is much closer to what Twin Peaks, bit, you know, normally is. And you definitely feel them kind of settling into like settling into what the show is eventually going to be remembered as, basically. Uh, which, like I said last week, not just with the character of Cooper, uh, the pilot stands on its own, kind of tonally, um, in terms of some of the characterizations. It, whereas now that we're there filming this as an actual series and not just as a pilot it you kind of you kind of get the sense that everyone is starting to more understand not just the cast but you know everyone working on the show is starting to get the direction that uh that they want the project to go in and it's it's an interesting contrast i guess yeah no i i um i like this episode a lot more than the uh than the pilot i'll say that um I didn't dislike the pilot. Uh, I just was really confused by it, and not confused like, "Oh, <laughs> this is so trippy and mysterious." I was confused by like tonally. I was like, I had no idea how to respond to anything. Whereas here, uh, you know, especially with the commercial breaks, <laughs> um, <laughs> things kind of end on um, more familiar notes uh, for you know, as far as uh, television goes, um, even almost sitcommy in some places. So. Uh, yeah, I, not that this is a good or a bad thing necessarily, but it was a, it was more familiar and a bit easier to get my head around. Um, you know, one of the ways when you don't know a character to sort of become uh, connected to them or to, to understand them or, or, or get on their side, for example, if, if we're supposed to like Cooper, nothing in the pilot made me in, like inherently know that he was a character who was trustworthy. Other than he's like uh, you know authority figure figure, but you know there's there's good FBI agents, bad FBI agents. Um, whereas here, you know, it's he's transparently made to be a a good character, quote unquote. Uh, so I think that that's and and it's that that happens through a lot of the you know even just his introduction in this episode. I mean, if he's turns out to be the killer, I'll I'll be very surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's yeah, it's funny. Right as the episode opens. Um, with Cooper hanging upside down in his hotel room. Um, that immediately I was like, okay, now this is the Cooper that I 
remember, this is the Cooper that I know from the show that we were talking about last week. Uh, Cooper was, to me, unrecognizable in the pilot because he's so kind of cold and he's, uh, you know, he doesn't really seem to put any... He doesn't seem to care about other people's feelings. Um, he seems much more like a very serious professional. Um, but in this very in this opening scene, one of the things he says is, I'm speaking now not just as an agent of the Bureau, but as a human being. Right. Um, and that's the line that's like, all right, now this is Cooper. Because that's who Cooper is. He is a good FBI agent and a good detective, but more than anything else, he is a person who deeply cares about other people. Yeah, yeah, and that's not something you would have necessarily gotten from the uh, the pilot. You know, he he rushes in and just starts, you know, callously <laughs> callously checking the uh, the fingertips of the uh, the victims and things like that. So, um, yeah, no, this is definitely a, a bit of a, a shift for for him. Um, I how long I had two questions for you. The first was how long ago did you watch uh, the first episode of Twin Peaks? Like, this is like how far back are you going when you? Um, let me think. I well, I, I rewatched the series before the third season aired this past summer, but I think I started the rewatch because the the thing is I had intended to rewatch it a while before the third season premiered, so I'd watched the first rewatched the first like four or five episodes, um, and then just put it off until like the week beforehand. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, so I think it might be it, it's been not a full year but like a while since I've seen these first couple episodes. But once we get to about episode 5, that's much more recent. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um and the other question was uh the you had mentioned that the pilot had extra scenes that could um have made it into like sort of a, a one-off movie type of deal. Um are the is the conclusion is it like a is it a condensed version of the series or of the season or at least of this mystery or is it a completely different mm. story that's not representative of like well, like I assume you learn what happened you know how sort of who was uh, responsible for Laura's death um, and uh, you know is that the same person or people or is it a a different story altogether? That's a tough question to answer because it's not <laughs> it is well here's the thing it's not the exact same conclusion. But it is the things that happen in the ending are things that we will. Yeah, it's tough to. I'll I'll, I'll say base basically no. It's not the same, and it's not the same conclusion to the mystery that we get. But we do. It does answer questions that will be answered um, as the show goes on. And in fact, in in the next episode, in the next episode, we're gonna see some clips from that ending. Oh, um, reused. So, I'll, and I'll point those out when we talk about them, but that footage does uh, does make its way into the show. Yeah, not in, not in the same context. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I was just wondering about that. Uh, it's something that was in the back of my head. Um, back of my mind, I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, so this uh, episode, as we mentioned, opens in a, a you know, amusing way where we're, we're getting, we're seeing the hotel that, that Cooper is staying at. And uh, he's hanging upside down for some reason. I don't know. I guess it's not entirely clear why he's doing that. Um, and he's recording <laughs> uh, his himself again, and uh, more or less like evaluating the hotel and um, referencing uh, anecdotes that we aren't privy to. Um, yeah, I just found it to be very engaging and also very um, 
just like I said, much much lighter. Even the parts of this episode that are darker, and there is, you know, it does get quite dark in pieces. Um, it's, I think, crowded out by how many moments are not, um, are played for, you know, what what feels like, you know, a humor uh, or or at least um, a lighter a lighter tone. Yeah, I mean, Twin Peaks is a very funny show. Like it. I wouldn't call it a comedy, but it definitely it makes more than enough room for, like you say, kind of lightheartedness, um, and a much a, a brighter tone. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of really funny stuff in this episode, and there's some of the most iconic moments in the show are in this episode, mm-hmm. um, in particular. But it's more about like, like I said, I wouldn't call it a comedy, but it does kind of take a lot of pleasure in these little. Uh, kind of oddball mo- moments and quirky characters, um, in a way that is that is really engaging. And and like Cooper himself, who seems to uh, really take pleasure in like simple joys and small pleasure, you know, the little things basically. Um, Twin Peaks as as a show is a lot like that too, where it doesn't, it's not all about those things, but it doesn't, it, it makes room for them. Yeah, no, that, and it's just something that I didn't really pick up on in the in the pilot. I remember I said there were things that I wasn't sure if were supposed to be funny or not. Um, but here it's a lot more obvious where you're supposed to laugh, let's say. Um, you know, so, well, in the, even just in these first few scenes, you know, we have this, this sort of oddball introduction where he's hanging upside down and talking about the hotel. Um, there's a scene with the coffee um and uh, obviously it's a very famous scene i'd even seen a gif of it before uh i ever saw this episode <laughs> so I, I was very familiar with that um there's this like meet cute type thing um with audrey i think and then yep uh then just after that there's the 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 scene of the sheriff um you know who's in the middle of eating when um when cooper shows up and just all of these could easily have been in an episode of like seinfeld or something so i just thought it was funny that they were <laughs> to go from last episode, which ended quite darkly. And, um, and, and I would also say music, the music uh, is so much more somber in the pilot by and large. I mean, there's parts that are jazzy and there's parts that are somber, but it's just, there's a lot of the, the strings and the sort of more, the darker, the, those darker tracks. Whereas uh, this episode had a lot more of the lighter jazzy type tunes that made it feel again, more, more like a sitcom. Well, I wonder if, like, because remember, remembering that this aired on network TV in 1990, I think you have to, like, put yourself back in the shoes of someone who's creating for television in that mm-hmm. time, and I don't know if, I th- you know, I don't want to demean audiences of the early 90s, but I think you would probably assume that people don't want to spend, people wouldn't want to stick with a TV show if it was so dark and grim every single week. Well, um, I was wondering that myself, you know I mean? watching the pilot. <laughs> so talk about audiences in the 90s. I had the same question uh, as an audience hmm. in 2017. Um, not that I didn't want to, I mean, obviously, well, for, for the podcast, I would, I would stick with very bad television, as we have. I'm not naming names here. Um, <laughs> but uh, certainly more than willing to do that. But, I, you know, wondering what the sort of allure was or how, how it picked up so much, such a big following. Um and it was the mystery for most people. The who who killed Laura Palmer was like Oh, certainly. That's the 
that's the thing that made it such a phenomenon. Certainly the mystery, um, but I, I feel like, you know, even, like, Law & Order SVU, where they're doing really, really horrible stuff, has time for, like, lightheartedness, you know, and, and jokes occasionally to try and keep things from being so bleak every episode. Um, so, you know, it's it's nice to, it's just nice to, to, to know that that's the, the angle here. The other thing I wonder is, I don't know if they got any notes from the studio executives, because I know that after the pilot for Firefly aired, which is also a double episode, which gives way to, I think it's the same exact length-wise as... Um, uh, well, didn't that air, like, after? That, the... Chrono- what's chronologically the first episode? Yes, but when they were making them, um, the note was... Oh, right, okay. The yeah. note was that uh, Mal, the main character, was, um, for, for people who don't know, uh, Nathan Fillion's character, was too dark, and they had to lighten him up for subsequent episodes. Uh, which is really funny because, if you, I mean, in my opinion, if you watch that series and you watch the pilot and you watch the subsequent... It doesn't feel like a very different character, but um, apparently that was a significant note and that they, they felt he was too... Um, murdery uh, you know too uh too tortured when they, they needed to give him more um more jokes more funny things um and if that came in 2003 2002 sorry 2002 oh my gosh got a hand in my fan card uh in 2002 then they um you know i'm certainly in the 90s i can imagine a similar sort of note coming in uh not that there weren't dark shows but you know um who knows who knows how the studio responded uh, but this definitely seems like, I mean, to me, I saw that commentary or that those notes from the studio, uh, you know, really clearly here where it felt like, uh, and like now we're seeing uh, what happens when there's a little bit of buffering from like, mm, well, if this is going to appeal to a wide audience, we have to sort of, uh, we have to angle it a bit. Um, I, but I, again, it doesn't feel based f- on one episode. Who knows? I haven't. It doesn't feel forced though. No, I not mean, at all. Not at I, all. I, I, I think that's well. That's the thing. I think that's that that is a possible motivator, but it also feels like naturally like, like kind of like what I said earlier. Like this is what the show is supposed to be when you watch this episode. Um, I don't know if this show could have sustained the kind of thing that it was in the pilot for so long, mm-hmm. but once you get to tonally uh, what this episode is doing, it feels much more like okay, this this feels like a show that can keep going. And part of the reason for that is. Um, and part of what became an enormous conflict between the creators and the network and, more importantly, the audience, was that they initially conceived of Laura Palmer's death as, uh, like, a MacGuffin, basically, that would... It was basically just an excuse to get all of these characters... Introduce all of these characters and get them interacting. And the initial conception was, you know, Lynch and Frost never wanted to answer that question. <laughs> they very much were like... If they had their day, they never would have answered it, and they would have just spun out all these different stories with the with the ensemble cast, um, you know, forever. Really. And what attracted Lynch to television in the first place, and what still does, and he ta- still talks about this now, is that you can tell stories that can just keep going and going and going. Um, whereas, um, I, I don't remember exactly the quote, but he basically said something like... Um, when a film when a film has a concrete ending, that's an excuse to the audience to stop thinking about it, mm. um, which is why his endings, which is why he likes making endings that are more ambiguous because it sticks with you and it kind of forces you, it forces itself to stay in your mm. mind, and that's what he likes about television as well is that it because it never necessarily has to have a concrete ending and hypothetically it can just keep going and going and going, um, you never have to get to that point where you just like, you know. Uh, 
say, all right, well, we're done. This is all we have to say. Right. Well, you know, it's. I, I wonder, I mean, just to, not to, to pick a fight with David Lynch, but just I, I, I think <laughs> I, I agree that certainly I, I understand where he's coming from on that, but it also, I think, is a limited view of film. You know, it's to suggest that just on that particular point, and of course you're paraphrasing and I'm you know, like secondhand, thirdhand here, but um, just generally, you know, obviously a movie can have a concrete ending that still has, but still dealt with themes that cause you to think a lot about what's, um, you know, I think a lot of good science fiction, for example, still causes you to think about, even if you, you know sort of how it ended and it has a very, you know, clear arc, narrative arc, um, there can be, you know, thematic elements and other other components, which or, or ethical dilemmas or whatever that can cause you to uh, give you give you room to to think about it post conclusion without it being. Um, I mean, I appreciate the idea of like a never ending story type of deal, but um, you know, it's not always. I think uh, a narrative uh, bound to its narrative uh, structure. I mean. I television audiences would in the 1990s would certainly agree with you <laughs> because once they started to get frustrated and once they s- kind of begrudgingly started to wrap up story elements um this series started to kind of just it started to bleed viewers basically mm. because unfortunately what happened is they realized that the things that they were interested in as creators what... weren't the same <laughs> as the things that most people watching were interested in gotcha. um which is why you know the final this well the fi- I say the final season the second season of Twin Peaks was considered to be a ratings bomb with millions of viewers still every week mm. and the third season I think like two hundred thousand like a quarter million people at most were watching the third season um, but the, it's the, the people who did. were like really vibing with what the show was doing um, so it's it is. It is definitely a show that's not for everyone, and I think its fatal flaw was that when it was introduced, it seemed like it was for everyone, um, but it quickly revealed itself, not quickly, but like, it became more apparent as it went on that its interests were not the same as the interests of the people who were sticking with it. Um, the, so does that suggest then that a lot of the primary storylines will be wrapped up fairly quickly? Um, not quickly. I mean, not not this season, because the, there's a lot of riddling out to do of what's actually, like, going on. Um, not just with the central mystery, but with, like, all sorts of characters. Um, but even as stuff gets revealed, they will start to kind of pile on more layers of mystery, okay. basically, um, in order to keep that... In, in order to keep that going while appeasing people who really want to know what's... who want to know something, basically. Mm. Well, I just I the reason I asked that in part is because I felt like last episode uh we got more reveal than I thought we would about various, you know, points that they brought up, you know, who was James, you know, what is his relation to uh Laura, etc. Uh, and then ep- this episode is the same um sort of deal where I actually felt like a lot of mysteries were resolved or at least explained uh that were brought up just last episode. Um, for example, the cocaine that nobody, you know, was, you know, Laura doesn't do cocaine in this episode. We find out, yes, she did. Uh, James knew about it and, you know, was trying to get her to stop doing cocaine. Uh, and then, uh, you know, what what was with all the money in her safety deposit box? And then we get the answer to that as well. 
um, that uh, that Bobby owed money to to Leo, um, and so it's just it was just funny because I was expecting a bit more. Like I was expecting to be drawn out a bit more before we'd we'd get any of those answers. So, it, the the speed of it sort of surprised me. Um, considering this is yeah, it definitely doesn't in the second episode. It doesn't drag stuff out, which is something that a lot of its imitators kind of uh, didn't understand about it. Mm. I think. Um, whereas you know a lot of shows, and I, I off the top of my head, I don't know. Like I think maybe the X Files is a good example where like. The central that show was ten, ran for ten seasons initially, and its central mysteries just like you would learn something new every uh, half a season, basically, <laughs> and they would just like par- parcel out tiny little details because you know they weren't really interested in in answering that sort of thing. Well, it was also like just fine of the week and you know other stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. But it, it, Twin Peaks is different because. It is and it is giving you stuff like the the plot is progressing for as experimental as it can be, and there are some things in this episode that for a network show in 1990 are shockingly experimental. Um, but it is it is not withholding basically. It is is giving you something to work with mm. while introducing new things to puzzle over. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, no, I just want, you know, like I said, it was just a, a question of, you know, they seemed like they were moving toward the uh, conclusion to some of these mysteries uh, at a much faster pace than I had anticipated. So that was um, also encouraging because I, I like uh, instant gratification. I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, it can be exhausting when people just, I mean, when shows drag things out for no particular reason other than, you know, they have to fill a season or something. You know, that's, that's not, I don't think, Good storytelling. I think um, I'm trying to. There's a show that I. It's not coming to mind. I don't think it's the 100. Um, where basically every time, yeah, maybe it is the 100. Yeah, no, I think I, maybe it is the 100. Uh, where they just give you, you know, like at the point where it makes sense to just reveal the thing already, or 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 move forward in the plot. They just move forward in the plot, and you don't have to wait. You know, because they, you know, they they've run out of story, and they just started an entirely new plot. Because it's like, well, you know, let's not waste everybody's time with that. And I, I appreciate when a show can recognize that it's past the point of like logic or uh, where the natural reveal would happen, and it just drags it on. Like that's, um, you know, and if an episode or sorry, a t- TV show drags that um, that point on uh, past that that uh, sort of natural stopping point, uh, it can be extremely frustrating to watch. Uh, and discouraging, I think, for viewers. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I just I appreciate that in this context. Uh, I never watched uh, much of the X Files, but I also do get the uh, the '90s uh, FBI agent vibe. It's uh, definitely <laughs> pervasive. Yeah. Um, anyway, so onto the episode itself. Um, there's not much uh, in this beginning part, except for uh, obviously the. It is quite amusing. I, I like uh, when Cooper asked for his bacon to be cremated. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so all of this comes to an abrupt conclusion when uh, they're getting the coroner's report. Um, right. Which was... A, a lot of this... Oh, I, I do want to say, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I think it's really funny when he walks into the sheriff's office and everyone there is eating donuts. Yeah. Um, just a great, like... Not not even like a great detail, but just such a funny way to kind of reintroduce who all these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is that they are working. It gives the sense that the sheriff's office is a less, not a less serious place, but like it recontextualizes the case they're working on because it reminds you once again that like stuff this dark and stuff this scary doesn't usually uh, come across their desks right. in the sheriff's station. Um, and you're right, like that that tonal shift to from that to getting the coroner's report is it, it makes it really intriguing because well yeah <laughs> i sometimes i just run out of things to say but it no. sounds like i'm going to get through my sentence <laughs> no no it's definitely um, true and I, I think that the uh the musical cues also help there too because finally the um you know the more somber music starts coming coming back after you know a fairly jazz focused introduction um so yeah no absolutely and it's also sad because this is what is it it's donna's father yeah, Donna's dead. Um, and you know he's he knew Laura, and it's very hard for him. And he couldn't even do the the um, the autopsy; he had to outsource it. Uh, and he also points out um, that one of the things they find in the uh, in the report is that there were three perpetrators at least, um, mm-hmm. which is also a, you know it's fairly significant because it implies there was you know not just one but many people involved in uh, in Laura's death and. Um, uh, who was the other, the other person? Um, oh, Ronette, Ronette Pulaski. Yeah, Ronette, uh, yeah. Ronette's uh, assault as well. Um, but yeah, so there's clearly more than more than just one person. Um, which is also, uh, something that you know we didn't know, uh, before now. Right, and then in an interesting cut, it goes straight to Leo, mm-hmm. um. And this episode really establishes Leo as, I think, the... If you had to pick a primary suspect after watching this episode, I think it would have to be Leo, because he is clearly the most uh, menacing sure. and, and sinister person well, is clearly a in town guy. so far. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, I mean, literally a, a violent person mm-hmm. who we see commit acts of violence in this episode. Yeah. Um, I, I, but it's... more ominous... more Yeah. More ominously is Shelley finding his shirt that's covered in blood. Yeah, um... What she says too, she's like blood. I'm like, yes, <laughs> we know. Yeah, that 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 was a, that that was a network note. If we're talking about what the <laughs> network was, that was definitely something where they were like, you have to. People might not know what it is. They might think it's sauce or something. <laughs> um, well, they, it does have that like '90s washed out look. Everything does. So you know, everything's um, very uh, muted colors. Uh, so I, you know, perhaps <laughs> this is red, <laughs> and red is bad because it means it's blood. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. There's something about it though that doesn't really make sense to me or not makes, not, not make sense to me, but makes me not the, the, maybe it's just gears of Scooby-Doo mysteries, uh, as a kid, but it's never like the most obvious person. Um, it's always like some, well, in Scooby-Doo, it's always like the janitor or something, but, um, in this case, uh, it just, I think I maybe might have even said this last episode that Leo seems like such an obvious bad character that if it were him it would be very surprising to me. Um just because like he's terrible. He was introduced as a bad guy last episode, he's worse this episode, like even more transparently terrible. Um and and this blood on his shirt, you know, it's oh and uh, you know, characters owe money to him. It's like, alright, he seems like a thug and like a terrible person and 
domestic abuser and, and all these other things, but the suggests that he's also, in addition to all of that, a, you know, a murderer. I, I don't know. It seems like, it seems like it would be a stretch. I don't know. It just, it just seems like they're an extremely obvious uh, direction that the show's pointing uh, us. And so therefore I'm immediately distrustful of it. Yeah. I mean that you, like, you did say that last week and I think that's a good instinct. Um, part of what Twin Peaks is about is that Laura's death, it, it shines a light on a lot of things in the town that are dark and, and evil. Um, it, whether or not they're directly related to her death, it's about how you know. I I didn't I haven't I didn't tell you this last time, but when this show aired in syndication on Bravo, um, David Lynch wrote and filmed these little intros with the log lady for every episode, um, where she would say kind of cryptic poetic things that were vaguely related to what happened in the episode. Oh my god! And the really? one she says it. That yeah. is so funny. Okay, remember last episode, or yeah, last podcast episode, um, I mentioned um, uh, Satoshi Kon's TV series, where he, mm-hmm. he did, though every one of those episodes opens with an old guy saying something weirdly cryptic. <laughs> and I have, I assume that is like a, a, a direct reference to, it has to, I mean, I, it has to be a direct reference. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's really funny. Anyway, please continue. Um, but what she says in the pilot, it, one of the things she says before the pilot is, Laura is the one who leads to the many. Um, and that is kind of what the show is about. It's, you know... Yeah, no, that makes I, sense. Again, I won't, I, won't, I won't say anything about Leo, but Leo may or may not be involved in Laura's death, but it doesn't matter, because Laura's death is... The way that it billows out to all these other characters reveals the their dark secrets in a lot of different ways sure absolutely yeah and, and that was the other thing too that's what i was uh, i think i said last episode is that we don't need him to be a murderer to like it would tell us anything else about him like oh yeah. wow the guy who's uh, exactly. already a terrible person is uh, also a murderer um which yeah doesn't make for the most exciting reveal in the world <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah absolutely um yeah no it is it's funny this the, the i will say the uh uh, the paranoia agent um, intros are, as far as I could ever tell, completely indecipherable, um, and have very little. <laughs> the episodes also. I mean, the the show is also uh, really bizarre from the start and has very little narrative continuity, um, or it has some continuity, but anyway, it's just very, very weird and trippy. So um, it makes a bit more sense that it doesn't make any that it doesn't really work there. But it'd be it, it's kind of surprising to me that it's not included in these episodes. Is it? Is it meant to be part of the episode? Or? It only it was only when they aired, like I said, when they re-aired on Bravo uh, in syndication, they were added to the episodes. So they're not like they don't like they're not on the Netflix. They don't normally come attached to the episodes when you watch them. They're on the Blu-ray, but they're not necessarily supposed to be there. But they are kind of fun. Um, mostly, I think if you're rewatching the show, they're fun. Hmm. It kind of reminds I thought me that of, line. In, um, there's when. Firefly was on TV, for example, just as, I don't know why I keep going to Firefly, but when Firefly was on TV, uh, it would intro um, with this little monologue that, as like a big Firefly fan, and there's not much of Firefly to watch, um, I had never hmm. heard this little monologue describing uh, sort of the history of, of Earth and how, the you know, why they're in a different solar system, whatever. Um, but it was like this little summary of like the Firefly universe that 
I think Mal would say or something at the beginning of the episode. And I had never heard it before. And I was like, what is this? But apparently it's a, um, you know, it's something they do on, on syndicate, uh, you know, when it's in syndication or it's on TV. And, and I think that that's a, um, always an interesting little uh, addendum. Um, and uh, yeah, but here it seems like these, you know, that's a fairly significant uh, point um, and certainly does give some color to, uh, to what unfolds following Laura Palmer's death. Um, so it's too bad, but that's good to know. And, and Log Lady does show up in this episode uh, to an even greater... Mm-hmm. I was not expecting that character <laughs> of all the characters to be one that... Um... She's she's great. She's a great character. Yeah, if, honestly, I would have been like, incredibly surprised if you hadn't said last episode that she is a character in the show. She's not <laughs> just like a one-off joke. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so then there's a, a brief interview with James uh, where pretty much everyone agrees that he's a, a nice guy and... Um, probably didn't do anything wrong. Uh, or at least especially Cooper does, and Cooper seems to be psychic. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's that great line later in the episode when um, although it's such a weird way to say it, it's it's such a it's like a bad joke, but it's kind of you can tell it's kind of in, it's written to be a bad mm-hmm. joke. When Truman says, "I think I should start studying medicine because I feel like Doctor Watson." Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Like I said, it's not a great line, but it does seem like the kind of thing that character would say. I took a note on that because, uh, yeah, well, that was something else. But that was those are the kind of lines <laughs> in this episode where I'm like, all right, this is not what I expected following the, the, the pilot episode. Um, like if that <laughs> line had been, imagine that line in the pilot. I just, I can't see it. Even though the character didn't change that much, I would have been surprised to see that kind of um, response because it's a kind of like corny banter that you expect um, you know with two, even let's just forget like tropes or whatever it's, it's what you expect between two um, partners you know uh, and in the pilot I know they just met and perhaps you could argue that a day has passed so it's different now um, but in the pilot <laughs> you wouldn't expect those two characters don't you know they, they work together and they you know it's fine um, uh, they don't like. There's no animosity or anything, but they're not. You, you wouldn't expect corny banter with those two characters. Uh, it's more of a um, circumstantial partnership. Whereas here, it's like, oh, you know, it's sort of like a a, a married couple, uh, which is a, a very different dynamic. Right. Um. Um. We learn an interesting thing in this scene with James, which is that the night that Laura died, uh they were riding on his motorcycle and he stopped at a light and she got off and ran into the woods. Um, which to me begs the question, why didn't you go after her? (laughs) But this is a very James thing to do to just kind of like, you can kind of picture him watching her go and just sitting there brooding on his motorcycle um, and not saying, Hey, why are you running into the, into the woods alone in the middle of the night? Um, but again, this is a lot of like, like I said, it's, there's a lot of stuff on this show where it, it's in character. Even if it's if it seems like a stupid thing to, for a person to do, you still get the sense that's like yes, but that's what that person would do, or say. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, actually, it's until you brought that up, I didn't even consider it as because it it did make sense to me in my head. Um, so I didn't really think <laughs> about that. Uh, other than that, I could definitely see this all going down with James, um, because he's that kind of person. Uh, from what we, from what very little we know about him. Uh, at this point, right? Uh, but yeah, no. I, I, I mean, we got a little bit of that last episode when she, he was talking to, uh, was it Audrey? 
Donna? Was it Donna? Or probably Donna. I think I don't remember if he talks to Audrey last episode. Is Donna the one who who um like when they're when they're uh when they go to the um yeah, it was Donna because it was Donna's uh dad that that Bobby goes and sees and all, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh so it was definitely Donna. Yeah. Um right. But I think he he says some of this to Donna that she wasn't herself and she was acting really weird. Um maybe he didn't mention that she ran off, but he did mention that uh that she wasn't acting like herself and that there was something that seemed to have um rattled her. Uh so yeah, so it's a it's a, some new information, but um I th- I would say the the major things are are understanding that uh she, you know, was a lot more um she had a lot of other things going on that that James knew about at the very least if not Donna as well. Um and um that nobody else in the town seemed to know about it, but it does confirm some of these things. So it's not like it's completely uh, out of the blue for at least some of these characters. Right. Um, um, we talked. We talked briefly about this scene with Bobby and Mike. Right. Um, Mike calls Mike calls Bobby Bopper, yep. which is really dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what I like, what I think is interesting about this scene is that you get the sense that even though these are these two are clearly like bad kids. Yep. You also get this implication that they are in over their heads in a way, um, even though clearly they are not. They're engaged in some really heinous yeah. things, and in fact, like you said, one of the things James says that Laura says is that Bobby killed a guy. Um, so you know, not good people, but also just contrasted with uh, Leo, who they're engaged with. You definitely get the sense that they are not in the same league. They are not on the same yeah. level as him, and they are. He is. Uh, dominating. He, he he is. He's much. I mean, obviously, he's much worse. But they are, even if they might not admit it, they are in too deep. Based both of them. Right. Yeah. And they both they owe money to uh to Leo, and it's not clear for what. Um, yeah. There's no there's no reveal there. It could be for drugs or something, but it's nobody's. Um, none of that's been revealed. But it's also uh mentioned that Laura had the money, uh, which is why it was in the safety deposit box and was supposed to be delivered to Leo and was not, um, which of course puts them in trouble. Um, but what's kind of amazing to me is, you know, despite the fact they're in this huge bind with um, with Leo, their priority when they get out of jail is for some reason to go after James, which, I don't know, seems kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, their relationship and he's going to take... Um... Some a little more exploring. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just like I understand vengeance and whatever, but you know they have an immediate problem of Leo uh, and not having the money. Like I would imagine that would be the the focus, but yeah, I don't know. Well, this, it's a very teenager thing to care more about for your immediate problem to be like your dumb grudge, basically, than what your actual problem is. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, I suppose that does make sense. Um, it's just a bit weird. I mean, it's how the uh, it's how their their storyline ends this episode as well. Um, yeah. Right after this scene is something when I talked about this episode being especially experimental for uh, 1990 mm-hmm. network television. Right before, right after this scene, it shows they they play a bit of the video again, and you hear someone say "Help me," um, and it's such an interesting choice because. It's not like someone, a character, is rewatching the video, and it's like, um, 
it's the equivalent it would be the equivalent of like diegetic versus non-diegetic music mm-hmm. and we get another example of that even in this episode um, oh yeah i know what you're but just yeah. it's just like a bit of this video that we're familiar with inserted with this weird creepy voiceover um and it it's just such a cool choice because it's not it doesn't directly follow um like in terms of what the characters are doing it's just kind of there and it it's uh increase it is it, it goes toward establishing the tone of the episode and it's just i don't i don't know it's just such a cool choice cuz you you don't see stuff like that yeah no i mean it's certainly the it, it it adds to the element of dread um around uh you know i i think part of the problem is um and i don't know if this is something they were trying to counteract i don't know what the landscape was like at the time but uh you know now when a character dies in a show or um especially procedural um crime shows but also in general any show that's even supposed to be semi-realistic, semi-grounded in reality, um, the I I just think that we are desensitized to death, and I think that not you know we see all these characters reacting to Laura's death, someone who we didn't know, so we didn't you know there was no emotional connection there, um, but making us feel um, a bit more of the the strangeness and the emptiness that a lot of these characters are feeling in, in you know, in her absence and, in, you know, in the wake of her death, um, you know, you can communicate that in a lot of different ways, the music and through the, um, through the narrative and seeing these characters react, but also, uh, you know, through these, these little moments. So I, I suspect that was also part of, part of the goal at least was to um, add to, to make sure that we don't forget that a person died, uh, which is easy, I think, to do, unfortunately, in these shows where, like someone dies in the first episode, but then that's it, you know, for, yeah, I don't know if anyone else is going to die, but if that's the only person to die, um, then, you know, it's easy 10 episodes in to forget that that was, you know, this really significant thing, not just uh, narratively, but, you know, you know, as a human, a human died. And so you have to like really uh, um, accept that and be brought into this world where, you know, that was a real human being who died and not an actor, you know? Um, So I think that, you know, little moments like this can help sort of remind uh, remind you uh, as you go that this is uh, you know a serious a serious issue, not just a, a plot device. It's just it's it's such a cool way of because we've seen this video several times now at this mm-hmm. point. So to have it to insert it into the actual like montage of the show is so. I can't, yeah, I, do, I don't know. It's just such a unique thing to do, even by modern TV standards. I feel. Yeah, no, it's not so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't. I can't think of a, a parallel. Um, it is. It is a, a, a different uh, approach. There's also a different approach a little bit later with um, uh, face transplantation as well. Um, yes. Oh, yes. That scene. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> with something else. Um, so yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Ed mentions briefly that he thinks he was drugged um which is a new mystery which we did not get an answer to yes. so there's that he says it's because jacques renault was tending bar so remember that name because he'll come up again yeah he said jacques renault was, was tending bar. I, I don't know if he was implying that jacques renault did it or just saying that like if that's who you should be you know that's the yeah first can you know suspect or first person to speak to um but yeah we'll certainly we'll get some more information there and see what the context is 
Um, and or, or... Cooper gets a call from someone named Agent Al. Lucy says Agent Albert Rosenfeld. Yeah. Um, Is it Rosenfeld? And I'll. It, well, here's the thing. Um, I don't know if I want to. Okay, I'll just. I'm just gonna say it because it's my favorite. One of my favorite things about the series. The character's name is Albert Rosenfield. Um, we don't know that until he shows, like, until the next time he's brought up and shows up. Um, Lucy says Rosenfeld because it's a running joke in the series that nobody gets his last name right. Ah, okay. Um, and I just want to say, I only bring it up because as a as I a can't imagine Rosenfield, why you bring it up. It's 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 truly the mystery of the century. Well, as a Rosenfield myself, <laughs> it is the most true to life thing in the entire series. <laughs> Because no one gets the name right. Everyone says Rosenfeld or some some or something else. And I it's been my whole life, and I never know why they they lose the ability to read when they look at my last name. I, I've never, but it I've always happens. Never had an issue with it. That is so weird. <laughs> I find that it happens bizarre. so often. You wouldn't believe. Well, when, when you so say that, that like, that's I just it. I, it makes some total sense. I just I. I I don't know if yeah. it's not Rosenfeld. It's, Rosenfeld. it's just something I appreciate about the show. <laughs> that is um, amusing. Yeah, I uh, I didn't I didn't realize that would be a running joke, but there you go. Uh, I guess there's yeah there's no way to know um, at this point uh, since we only heard uh, over the over the phone. But yeah, this person's coming into town to investigate the the bodies as well. Um, and there, one of my favorite lines in the whole series is over the phone when he's <laughs> when he's talking to Albert and he's talking about. Um, a place you can uh, eat along the way, and he says they got a cherry pie there that'll kill you. Yeah, after he was just talking about <laughs> a, a dead person. Yeah, um, <laughs> and he hadn't it's had just, it oh. yet. I think it was just by reputation he was saying that. It's the pie he talked about uh, in the pilot that he'd eaten on the when he's. Uh, oh, okay, okay. okay in yeah, talking yeah, to yeah, the sure. tape recorder, it's, but it's such a funny like. It's a thing. It's funny because it's a thing that like in modern lingo, I think is more common than it was back then to talk about something like, like if something's really funny, you say like, I'm dead. Like that's something people say now. Um, But I feel like in 1990, that was not a part of like, that was not like a part of slang. Um, So it's, but it's, and the way he says it too is funny. Like he's about to, he says it like he's like, he's like, he means it (laughs) literally. Um, it's, so it's a great line delivery and a great line. Just prior to that, he also says that you know he's he's heading off his colleague, saying that you can't you know look at the bodies before um, you know they they want to to bury these this um, to bury Laura Palmer, so you can't uh, we can't like extend it. We can't you know you got to come up and, and deal with this now if you want to do it um, because and, yeah. and and there's a, an example then of of what we were talking earlier about the human versus FBI. Um, you know, what and what he prioritizes. Uh, and, and also, I think maybe it's earlier than this, when he says to Truman that, you know, we need to talk to her parents, but let's give them a few days so that they can, you know, grieve before we get in their faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another example. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that is definitely a lot of, a lot more clarity on who the character is uh, over the, the, the pilot, for sure. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a, an encounter between Norma and, is it Nikki? Is it is that her name? Nadine. Oh, Nadine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so about drapes again. Um, <laughs> by the way, I like that the scene opens on a shot of Twin Peaks as a tr- model train set, um, which, I, to be yes. honest, with you, was really strange to me. And I'm, I was trying to think. We both grew up in a 
you know, some somewhat small town, not quite as rural. Um, I guess it's Twin Peaks, but mm-hmm. uh, like I can't imagine a correlate where like they have their own merchandise line, uh, where you know it's just <laughs> it's a kind of a strange phenomenon. This is the the Twin Peaks whatever store, um, and they have a you know a, a full you know uh, model version of the town um complete with with train etc uh, and i just just thought it was a bit bizarre um considering that like i don't know twin peaks is not a a place and it, it doesn't seem to be a famous place um, well i don't know if they're selling like the twin peaks train set but i think i think that's probably just like whoever owns the store set up a, a model of sure, the town yeah, to like possibly, yeah. you know Although I do think it's funny if they are selling merchandise, considering you're right, it's not like it's a tourist destination. Yeah, no, exactly. I just thought it was a, it was a funny way to open the scene. Also, you know, as we know, the opening to the to the episode is always uh, shots of Twin Peaks, uh, with the famous sign and all the rest of it. So it was funny to right. to start the uh, the scene that way. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, it for the scene. There's just a brief conversation about drapes, uh, with uh, some tension between Norma and Nadine. Um, that's about it. Uh, and cotton balls and, you know, making drapes be quieter <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so then, uh, I believe, uh, James is let out of prison and, uh, heads off with Ed, uh, and says that he needs protection from the bookhouse boys. Yes. We'll learn more about them in the, in the future. Yeah. So we haven't heard anything about means. them, but I did hear about them in the context of, I think somebody was... It's probably one of the many names proposed for um, our it's podcast. A, so. Yeah, it is, the problem is it's a great name for a Twin Peaks podcast, so but it. it's too good. So yeah, every it, it's it's a million podcasts, gotcha. unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll we'll see why that's such a great name uh, in the coming uh, coming weeks. <laughs> um, so yeah, and yeah, then we we get the the Doctor Watson line. That's a that's a fun one, um, and then uh, Audrey. Is it Audrey? Audrey has a conversation about uh, Laura's death. Oh, that's that's way later, I think, with her dad. Is it? Yeah, that's way later. No, 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 no. Er- earlier on, or is it? I'm trying to remember. Well, the first no, Audrey's in the in the introduction with Cooper, but she doesn't talk, she doesn't show up again until later. Oh yeah. You're right. Towards the end with it, with it, with the death. Um, maybe this was the next scene is, um, or was it is, Donna? uh, Cooper and Truman go see, uh, Pete and Josie. Oh, right. Okay. Sure. Yes. That makes more sense. Sorry. I have my, um, my mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a, <laughs> this is a fun scene. Mo- Mostly the reason this scene is remembered is for the line about uh, how there was a fish in the percolator, which is, again, one of the more um, iconic lines of the entire series. Oh, yeah. And uh, almost, apparently based on true events, um, almost, apparently David Lynch once uh, drank coffee only to find out that there was a bar of soap in the percolator, ah. and that's where the idea for this came gotcha. from. I think a fish is funnier, <laughs> just because it's, again, just so bizarre. Um yeah, no, it's but, a, it's a great uh, what scene. What do you make of it's Josie? Scene, and this is another one that felt a lot more um, comedy oriented. Yeah, uh, uh, I think it's a little. Josie is an interesting character because the way that the characters talk about her in this scene is it seems like 
uh, the way she speaks is not. There's an implication that her English isn't very good, and that because she says Laura was tutoring her, and then she gets kind of an aphorism wrong in the beginning of the mm-hmm. scene. But like, it doesn't really. It doesn't seem to be true based on like her actual conversations. Uh, no, um, although she doesn't. So it seems like kind of a disconnect. And just shortly afterwards. That's true, but it's, it's, it's. It seems to be more in the script, I guess, than, uh. It's it's almost like her English being supposedly bad is relegated to these specific instances, mm. and. It just. It, we get we get a lot of things in this episode about like ways that Laura kind of touched people all across the town, right. um, and this is supposed to be one of them. Like this is Laura's connection to to Josie. Um, I don't know. It's just, it just it doesn't seem like she would need an English tutor. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, or or it's been going on for so long that she's just really good at it. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think that it's a, that's, that's, a bit that's of a disconnect. True. Um. um. Um, but there is an interesting moment in the scene where she says that the last time she saw Laura, Laura said, uh, now I understand how you feel about when your husband died, which is a curious, again, a curious clue to yes, what uh, had Laura so uh, mixed up. Exactly, exactly. And I, we don't really have a read on that um, just yet. Uh, but um, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how that shakes out. It doesn't really give us much information. Um but Cooper definitely takes note of it, and I'm sure we'll we'll get some more revelations in the not too distant future. Um, yes, and then uh, in the next, se- oh yeah, she goes off to take a call, and then it connects to a scene with I believe this time it's Audrey's dad, and um, uh, who's who's the other woman? She's the she the ex-wife of the oh Catherine yeah Catherine. Um. Right, and uh, they're they have they're having some sort of um, tryst. Catherine calls Josie basic. Catherine calls Josie basically for no reason other than to just like antagonize her. What also um, to maintain her position that it was a bad thing, even though she is trying to sink the mill. Right. <laughs> even though they're gonna they're planning to set it on fire. Well, now they're trying to um, now they're trying to to set it on fire, but before they were trying to bankrupt it. So by pretending that she was upset about it losing money, she sort of obviates any. Um, any suspicion that she's, you know, has that goal in mind. Because it puts her on the opposite um, side of things. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, now their their plan is to, to burn down the mill. I'm not entirely sure why or how that works. They could just say they're cooking the books or whatever, but um, I don't see how bankrupting the mill or burning it down gets them what they want. Um, yeah, well, we don't really know. We don't know enough about the history of Catherine and Josie and with regards to the ownership of the mill. Um, we don't know enough about it to, at this point to get a read on why Catherine is doing what she's doing. But the main thing to get out of this scene is just that she really hates Josie and she resents that Josie has control over the mill. Um, that's not the whole of it, but that is the most important thing about their relationship. No, certainly, but if it was just out of spite, then the whole thing about you know, what was on the books wouldn't matter. Because it would just be like, we just right. want to see the mill go down so that she doesn't have, you know, she doesn't own it anymore. Um, which is not, obviously, the only point here. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll learn a bit more about that um, in uh, subsequent episodes. Um, 
so the next scene is yeah, um, this the, is like the one we mentioned. Yeah, this is the, the, the bizarre and also probably the most David Lynch um, scene in the episode. I would argue. This is, I love this. So yeah, so Donna goes to see the Palmers, yep. and um, Leland at this point seems a bit more composed. Although I will say, don't let that fool you, because <laughs> Leland is going to have his own emotional turmoil um, very soon. But at this exact moment, um, Sarah is 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 a, is much more uh, uh, broken down, and she sees Laura's face superimposed over Donna, yeah. over Donna's face. And it's, again, it's just such a, it's such a, it's a strange choice. It's because it makes it, I think there's a ver like there's a version of this scene where there's just a cut and then it's, Laura, like they just replace Laura, like they actually get, they actually get the actress basically mm -hmm. to be sitting there. Um, I think that would probably have been much easier than doing whatever special effect they had to do to make this thing, uh, to make this visual happen. But it's much more, it makes it much more like unsettling and haunting. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a lot of what, I mean, that's a lot of what David Lynch, like you say, it's a very Lynchian scene. And that's something that David Lynch just loves to do. Like uh, effects may not look, he's less concerned about making something look realistic. And he's much more concerned about it, what it evokes in you. Like, emotionally sure, and psychologically yeah, yeah. and doing it this way is much more disturbing and and strange than um doing it an easier way would have been and uh so i, I really like this moment i do too I, I i immediately thought back to uh my days watching xena uh because xena's filled <laughs> with you know magic and stuff and so everyone's it, weird things happen all the time with um uh, and, and with very 90s effects. Um, so I just thought it was uh, if, if funny. It definitely reminded me of that. But actually, that, that wasn't the... I mean, that certainly that's lynching uh, in some ways. But, oh, yes, the other thing in this but scene. The, the other one was far more, for me, like, you know, looked straight out of Mulholland Drive. I mean, it was very um, freaky as, you know, when she's she's freaking out about the, the face and, and, and Laura, uh, but then sees uh, someone, you know, creeping on the other side of the couch or... It's not really clear where he is, uh, and it's interesting because it looks more like the, it looks more like the foot of a it bed. It does, no, absolutely. Which is but an I was interesting. Like, There's no bed. I don't see a bed here. So yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it makes it, it's sort of a confusing, it's intentionally confusing the geography of this uh, set, um, because yeah, the, what it's clear that this is her vision that she's having of this mysterious person, um, but. It doesn't make any sense that from her literal point of view, um, because there it looks the first of all it looks like the foot of a bed. There doesn't seem to be a bed in this room, but also what's behind him it just doesn't look like the same room that they're in. Um, and again, this is a thing that it makes it all the more um, creepy. Right. <laughs> and it's it's creepy enough already, but the fact that it's not like, um, and, I mean, all right. I don't want to say too much about this guy because this is a very interesting thing <laughs> um, who we'll learn more about, but uh, this is, I, I had actually forgotten that he was introduced this early. Okay. Well, uh, I guess there's a, uh, there's more to be uh, discovered here, but certainly uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the moment because I thought it was a bit, 
was very unsettling, but also also a bit funny and, and like absurd uh, as well. I, I I probably not intentionally, but I I thought it was just like, you know, when it's maybe it's because like modern uh, a lot of modern comedy. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Maybe the Mighty Boosh, but you know the idea of like uh, jump scare type creepy uh, characters, but for the purpose of humor is not an uncommon phenomenon these days. Um, so maybe when I saw this, I just, that's how I reacted to it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did, I did really enjoy this, uh, this moment because it is so bizarre um, and uh, delightfully, delightfully bizarre in that way. Um, um, I, w- I will say this, um, although I don't know, well, I'll just, I'll say this cause it is, it is relevant to the scene. Um, the reason that this guy is here is that I think the story is it's an apocryphal story so there are lots of different versions of it but the main one is that th- this guy is the actor is named Frank Silva and he was a set dresser um and I think the way that the story went is that he was on set and he like either got trapped there because as they started filming and he couldn't move because he didn't want to interrupt the shot and he showed up um in a mirror uh in the background of the shot with in a scene with sarah i think um and the producers made lynch shoot the scene again without him in it but lynch loved the image of him lurking in the background (laughs) so much that he actually cast him in an actual role as a sinister exactly so that's that's why he's here um and i and he is Again, we'll see more of him. He's really phenomenal and really scary. Um, Interesting. Just in these, just in this brief flash. Um, so he did die in '95, unfortunately. Um, yeah, unfor- unfortunately. Yeah, um, Although I will say, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to jump ahead too far. Um, but they make great use of him in the third season, just in archival footage. Oh, interesting. Um, I was going to say, I wonder. Which I is, was actually going to ask just that thing, which is, or not ask, but at least guess out loud. Um, that I was like, well, I guess he he must not play a very significant role in the in the third season, but I guess he is uh, relevant there too. Um, yeah, they do that with a couple of the actors who pa- unfortunately passed away. Um, they managed to use them in really, I, I won't give anything away, but really strange and intriguing ways, hmm. um, just through archival footage. Huh. All right. Well, that's because uh, I was wondering about that. I figured there was always there's going to be that chunk of the cast that is no longer around. Um, Okay, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, this is... Well, there's, uh, this br- there's this brief scene with Hawk, um, who's interviewing Ronette's parents right, 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 yep. in the hospital, yep. and he sees a man with one arm uh, walk into the morgue. Yep, and it's like and, very weird. And it's disappear. And, yeah, and they just disappear. <laughs> yeah, the lighting in this scene is great. I don't know why the morgue is, is blue, <laughs> but it makes it, all, it makes it all seem so much stranger, especially just this, how strange and out of place this scene is to begin with absolutely yeah no this is a a um a striking scene for that for that reason it, it's it's almost like uh it seems very alien um in yes. the moment and also he, by you know, the way he's, he's wearing red also so it's a it's a good contrast there um we we saw this man i didn't bring it up because you didn't notice it so i didn't want to bring it up but um we've seen this exact man in the hospital before in the previous episode oh. Um, you know, it was funny. I just, I he, thought I had seen him, and and because he was in the background, so I didn't. I only saw him for a second. I didn't like rewind it or anything. Um, at first, I thought he might have been the psychiatrist. Obviously, he's not. Um, we see the psychiatrist a bit later, 
Um, but that was the only other person with a beard that we saw in the hospital. So I thought, oh, maybe it's maybe it's him, which would be which would make sense. And I genuinely thought that's who it was at first, um, because he was heading towards the morgue. He wanted to see Laura Palmer's body anyway. It would have made sense. Um, but yes, uh, was not the case. So it was in fact a different person who I did, we didn't uh, meet. I don't think, uh, but was in a previous uh, previous scene. Um, yeah. So then, uh, so he ends in there, and then uh, there's a confrontation. I think in the next scene between Audrey and uh, her father. Yes, and this is the this is the scene I referred to earlier with the uh, in terms of diegetic, diegetic and yeah, non-diegetic music. We hear it's cool. Well, first of it. it First of all, it's cool because we hear this bit of score that we've been hearing throughout the episode and the one before. Um, and then uh, when Ben comes in, he turns off the re- the record player and the music stops. Um, so that's already kind of an interesting choice. But when the scene ends, uh, the music starts to fade back in like it's playing in her head. Right. And again, it's just such a it's such a cool like the the double confusion of what of where this music exists in relation to the world of the show. Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's very clever. And the other thing I really like about this scene is it opens with a, a tilt, um, you know, pointing at her feet and then moving up uh, her body. But before any of that happens, just by, honestly, by just watching her dance, you know it's Audrey because of her body language in previous scenes in the last episode. Um, it's the only character you could think of that would be doing this. So, you know, it's sort of a... Yeah redundant reveal when you're like oh it's audrey of course it's audrey who else would be doing this and who else would dance to this music <laughs> um, yeah, audrey will be dancing to music uh i think it's i think in the next episode she gets another scene like this but yeah it's, this is a very audrey thing to do exactly um and it's again this is another episode this is another example of like we get another important clue in this scene because for some reason ben asks her uh if anyone had been asking about uh, Laura or something something to that extent right. there's some implication that he knows something about Laura that he doesn't want people to find out well and not only that he also said in the previous scene uh, that he was in that uh, I think it was he was the one who said that the tragedies were helping business or that they, they yeah. were or they were hurting business which was good for them um, at the mill um, so yeah clear, and it's not clear if they're just benefiting from this or if they're um you know, in any way, active agents. Uh, but yes, there's there's definitely some um, creepy alliance between them and and whatever's going on. Um, yeah, and then there's obviously there's clearly a very uh, broken relationship between uh, him and his and his daughter. Yeah, one of the thing what he says at the end of the scene is, um, "Laura died two days ago, I but I, lo- I lost ago, you yeah. years ago." And it's a good line, but it also like. It brings this weird implication about his, about him and Laura, that just the fact that he would make that connection. Yeah, a little bit. It's yeah, a, for sure. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it implies something. Not just what he says earlier in the scene, but both of these things together kind of imply something very strange about whatever whatever relationship he may have had with Laura that we don't know mm. about. No, no, yeah, there's definitely a, a weird air there. Although. Um... You know, we don't have any idea if it's anything. I mean, certainly he would know. You know, it's a small town, and also his his daughter was sort of friends with her anyway, so it's possible that he would already know her, but um, or know the Palmers or, or whatever. Um, so there's definitely 
but so so it wouldn't surprise me to know that they have some sort of relationship to know you know how far that went uh, is unclear um but yeah uh then i think uh, in the next thing we have another relationship between a parent and and child i believe uh, i believe this is the next uh scene uh with bobby's dad yeah bobby and his parents yeah and, yep and him. so uh his dad is a has a very interesting way of speaking um it's sort of robotic but also verbose, and then also mostly platitudes uh, about life and the world. Yeah, he, he has a sort of like um, warrior poet yeah. uh, demeanor, um, or at least that's what he's trying to put yeah. off. Um, so it, it's, yeah, he's an intriguing character, for sure. Um, also, he's wearing his military outfit. Why? <laughs> Which, again, it is like, it tells you that he's the kind of guy who would be in the military and would just wear his outfit all the time. Yeah, I, I sure. Uh, it's just like, as far as I know, yeah, what, very little I know about the military, it's specifically forbidden to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, in civilian context or whatever, you're not supposed to just wear it around. It's not a costume. Um, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, a, a tense confrontation between Bobby and his dad. Um, he smacks the, the cigarette out and some clever editing has it land directly in his mother's uh, plate. Um, <laughs> and then she offers some sort of meek uh, response. Um, uh, just after that, just, you know, sort of consoling him. Uh, following her, uh, I like this scene because, it's, again, it's another reminder that Bobby is, like, he is just a kid. He is a kid, yeah. Um, for, as much, for as much as he seems to be involved in... Uh, you know, <laughs> crime-wise, uh, he is still a teenager. Um, yeah, it's got that a great moment sort of vibe to it, uh, where a little bit, yeah. It, he is this reminder of his age and his immaturity. Um, when previously the contexts that we've seen him in are all him trying to act much older than he is and much more, you know, dangerous. Yeah. Um, so the, it, it's a it brings him down to earth in a in a cool way. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, I think just to, to, to elaborate slightly on the Clockwork Orange point, I mean, the, the main, I think, most powerful scene in Clockwork Orange, um, nah, this isn't a spoiler for anyone, the book's been around for a while, um, but, uh, you know, this, this kid Alex gets kicked out of his house. He's a horrible, horrible human being. We've seen him do horrible things, uh, much worse than anything we've seen Bobby do, for sure. Um, and he's just, you know, absolutely terrible, but then, you know, gets kicked out of his house. And when he gets kicked out of his house... Uh, I don't remember how old he's supposed to be in the book. Maybe he's like 14, 15 years old. He's still like a, he's definitely a kid. He's not an, he's in no way an adult. Um, and it's a, it's a great moment because despite how terrible he is, you still feel a little bit bad that he's, you know, he still depends on his family. Um, and to be get kicked out at that age is, 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 uh, you know, a really significant thing. Uh, it's actually one of the problems that I have and, and many other people have with the, the Kubrick film because um, they did not cast a young kid as the, uh, the, the protagonist thing. Um, and so that was a, a significant change in the story. And so here it's that same sort of idea where you have this, you know, ostensibly bad kid, but, you know, fortunately at least appears to be uh, the right age. And um, you have a bit more sympathy for him in this context, uh, even if he is kind of a jerk. Um, yeah. Yeah, so then there's a, a, a brief interview at the diner with um, with Norma, I guess. Um, 
another yeah, again another introduction to something Laura did. Laura was uh, helped with her Meals on Wheels program. Yes, and she and she organized it. She did a lot of good things in the town. It seems like. Um, and yeah, I like she, that they explain what, it just... what Meals on Wheels is as well. Um, like she yeah. brought meals to people who are you know trapped in the you know the elderly or trapped in their homes. Yeah, we we know what Mills on Wheels is, but yes, uh, we get it. She's a good person, God. <laughs> um, although also clearly tied up in a bunch of uh, pretty complex um, issues uh, in the town. Uh, and then uh, we get a brief conversation with a log lady, and also an implication that log lady has seen some sort of or has some sort of clue to offer. Well, she hasn't seen well, it. Her log saw something. Her log has, has seen it. Uh, or she has whatever um, um, and then does say cryptically that she, you know the log will reveal it or, or whatever at some point um, perhaps when someone's willing to ask uh, the log directly um, <laughs> so we'll see if that comes to anything but I thought that was a an amusing and uh, uh, classic to me to me what I expected Twin Peaks to be like <laughs> log lady pretty much <laughs> captures that um so yeah, uh, I think that's that's about it for that scene. Uh, and then uh, we get uh, Leo being, you know, his full abusive self in the in the very next scene. Yeah, um, th- yeah. Like we, from the first moment we see Leo, we know that he's abusing Shelley just from like context mm-hmm. clues. Um, but yeah, this is a really upsetting scene. Um, j- just like the way he's. The first thing we see in the scene is his a knife in his hand, and it's such an interesting just visual. Obviously, he doesn't stab her in this scene. No, he he cuts open a the, football. For yeah. some reason. And then hides yeah. it, I, presumably to hide drugs inside, I guess. Although I don't know how you would get the football back together. Yeah. Um, Maybe if you stuff it. But it is, it is an odd image. Um, but yeah. it's such a dark, just in ter- yeah, but just in terms of like, um, what your immediate reaction is to seeing a knife in Leo's hand. You're like, oh, God, this is... You know something horrible is about to happen. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. And him swinging the... He puts a bar of soap yeah, in a yeah, sock, yeah. and he's swinging it above his head. It's just... God, it's so upsetting. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, always ambivalent about such scenes and their purpose. I don't feel like... I don't feel like I felt in... Uh, I think I've talked about this a thousand times now, but Bates Motel, season one episode one uh which is the only episode i've seen of that show which really really upset me uh and i never watched anymore uh where i just felt like a similar sort of scene was unearned um and just came out of nowhere and was like to set the character you know relationships up and i just didn't feel like it was in any way uh justified uh and that's the worst kind of way to feel about a scene that deals with such serious issues uh where i didn't feel that way necessarily here I think they've they've done this uh, a lot of justice in the context of the show. Um, and there's also restraint too. Like we don't see the act sure, actually. Yeah. It's just you know. It doesn't I mean? give yeah, like it's not it. like. Yeah. I was about to say it's not like a, it's not it's not like in Game of Thrones where it seems to revel in the actual like the actual violence yeah. of it. Um, it. It's it is much more restrained um, and much more. Uh, I don't know if respectful is the w- right word, but like of Shelley, um, basically, and not uh, just yeah, right. writhing in how mean, yeah. in how gruesome she's uh, her treatment is for sure. 
yeah, we definitely just get it through implication, which is more than sufficient. Um, yes. Which is which is definitely good. Uh, trying to think, uh, was there anything else? There's just two quick. Well, there's before the last scene. There's just Where's Donna. Go, uh, James goes to meet Donna's right, parents. Right. Right. Um, and I think we'll, we don't see a lot of that. We might. Um, we might see more of that interaction uh, in the next episode, but it's just sort of a, it's setting up that now. Just taking a wild guess there, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> look. <laughs> well, we don't. My point is that we don't see a lot of it now, basically. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. But we do get uh, Bobby outside, um, uh, in the car with Mike, right? Um, yes. And then they're talking about how you know, too bad you can only kill him once. Yeah. Like they're gonna. God, what a terrible! I hate it's. They're so bad. <laughs> like I say that I talk. I talk kind of sympathetically about Bobby sometimes because he's an interesting character. But like, he he's very bad. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. Especially if they actually like mean to kill him. Like if they were going to murder him in the context, or they plan to murder him in the context of the show. Um. So yeah, it's uh. It's hard to it's hard to be sympathetic there, even though they are. They are kids. Uh, again, I turn back to A Clockwork Orange, where similarly Alex is doing terrible things, and um, you have to, it's hard to keep in mind that this is a child. Um, yeah, uh, and then there's this last uh, this last bizarre scene where we see the psychiatrist, the kooky psychiatrist uh, house, which is all island-themed, um, where he starts playing a tape <laughs> of uh, I love Jacoby. I love that his house is like... I love the aesthetic of his house. It's so stupid. Yes. Um, he's playing the, the, the tape of Laura's messages to him, which I don't know if they're like therapy or what they're supposed to be. Um, the nature of their relationship isn't clear at this no, point. Um, it's a bit weird. He, he says that he was treating her, but it is kind of, I don't know. Like that's not, that's not been my experience with therapy. I don't send tapes to my therapist yeah. of just me talking about stuff. Yeah. And then um, also, although one thing she does, the, the whole necklace she mention and, and uh, crying as well. Yes. Um, the, the necklace is hidden in a coconut because, mm. <laughs> of course, that's the theme of his home. Uh, Laura, one of the things Laura says on the tape is, is something about a mystery, yeah, man, mystery man, which again is uh, introducing another mystery. Um, I also like that when it, the sound of the tape only cuts off when he puts on the headphones, um, which is it's just an interesting again it's an interesting choice in terms of like diegetic sound. What are we meant to? How are we meant to understand how this sound exists in the world? Right, yeah. Um, Is it playing out of speakers, like and then we, he puts them on, and we were listening as if we had his ears, and then he was muting right, it? Right, because normally the, w- normally the way that this scene would play out is, yeah, like you say, when the character puts on the headphones, because it's from their perspective, we start to hear what they hear. But it's almost like reversed in this scene, where like he doesn't hear the tape until he puts on the headphones, which is the point where it's cut off from us. Mm-hmm. Um a very str- a very strange choice, but a a cool one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, it. It also is the fact that the so remind me what happened last episode because I, I, it's very hard to keep track of all these like little scenes since they're so short. The end of last episode, they he buried um, James buried half of the heart necklace, right? Yes. Um, but then Sarah, at the very end, has, a has a vision of some gloved hands digging it up. So I think we're meant what we're meant to assume from this is that it was Doctor. It was okay. Just, so it wasn't. Right. I just wanted to make sure that was what I had in my head because that. Okay, great. Yes, that was my. 
I had in my notes the one in the vision question mark. Um, so yes, all right. So that makes a, a bit of sense. A bit strange how he would know that or be able to find it, um, and also why he has it in the first place. Um, but also strong implication that he, once again, is that we have yet another red herring sort of uh, or dead end. Let's call it uh, suspect. Um, last episode, it's like, oh, it's the one with the motorbike, but of course James isn't the one who did it, um, as far as we know. And then um, same with this doctor, who, uh, we, again, I would be very surprised if he was the murderer. Um, so despite the fact that last episode implied, oh, if we could just find out who had that other half of the necklace, we would um, we would resolve this murder. But of course, that's not the case here. So, um, or at least, again, from what I can tell, like, that doesn't seem like he would be the one of the suspects. Hmm. Um Unless I'm completely wrong. Right. You're probably listening to it going, oh, idiot. Uh. Well, yeah, I mean, then I... This is, again, it's hard. Like, I don't I don't want to say anything because you might be completely correct. Um, but I don't want to ruin the experience of that... Uh, uh, of you sussing out, like, that sort of thing by just confirming it. <laughs> okay. That's good. Um I guess we'll have to see uh, where where that goes. I I'm, I am curious to see what the doctor has to do with anything, um, uh, other than to have some insight into the, uh, you know, to her personal life that obviously other characters might not have because she's you know because he's her, he was her therapist or at least ostensibly was her therapist. Um, but yeah, right. uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll have to see where that goes so, next time. What is uh, the next episode? The next. It is called Zen, or The Skill to Catch a Killer. Great. Um, <laughs> some odd uh, odd episode titles, I will definitely say that. And by the way, next episode, things get really weird, so I'm very excited to talk about that. Oh, great. Um, and you'll see. Yeah, there's a bunch of... Uh, and by the way, there's some... There's a bunch of... So I can see into the future of other episodes. There is an episode in the in the... Uh, episode four, um, or I guess it'll be episode five for us, um, which is the one-armed man. So I guess we'll get a bit more info about uh, that character that we saw briefly this episode. I honestly, yes. honestly yes. didn't even realize he was one-armed <laughs> until you said that. So um, now Whoops. we know. <laughs> but I, just, I don't, you know, it's just because I'm not super observant. Slash, I also am watching this in standard definition, so uh, some things will be lost on me. Um, but in any case, until next week, I look forward to discussing uh, the third episode of Season 1. Okay. Okay.